0: good morning happy tuesday january 12th and welcome to every day's a holiday a daily podcast calendar giving you a reason to celebrate every day of the year today's holiday is feast of fabulous wild men day as it turns out not even the internet knows who created this holiday or why but the research to the best of my ability gives me a few ideas on what it is and how people celebrate it according to gaily.com the holiday may have been created by someone in the greeting card industry because there are, in fact, references to Feast of Fabulous Wild Men Day on greeting card websites. As far as I can tell, again, from my thorough internet research, the holiday is all about staring, no, gawking, at hunky, good-looking men. Men who are fabulous. Men who are classy and refined. But also, wild, unrestrained, rugged and free. Notably, sources about this holiday say that there shall be no shame in staring at Fabulous Wild Men today, because that's what the dang holiday is all about. Hashtag not creepy at all. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a day to feast on Fabulous Wild Men, but to feast your eyes upon Fabulous Wild Men. Go figure. No cannibalism today. Here's how to celebrate Feast of Fabulous Wild Men. As you can imagine, the easiest way to celebrate is to just stare at random hot dudes. But, if it weren't COVID, I'd suggest also celebrating by going to a Chippendales show. However, because the pandemic rages on and you can't do that, and you may get the cops called on you if you start staring into hot dudes' windows, I might suggest that instead you just search the good old Google for pictures of the hottest men of all time. For example, Glamour Magazine lists the hottest men of today as Prince Harry, because he is the wild child of the royal family, Robert Downey Jr., a reformed wild guy but still hot AF, Taylor Kitsch, to be honest I don't know why, because all I know is he's on Friday Night Lights and I doubt I would describe that as wild. Anyway, pick your favorite man and look him up on the internet and just check out pictures of them, in the least creepy way possible. If you're a wild dude and you want people to feast their eyes on you, maybe post a selfie on Instagram. And for those of us who aren't described as fabulous wild men, but would like to be someday, maybe it's a good time to reevaluate our fitness goals for 2021. Speaking of which, today is also Stick to Your New Year's Resolution Day. All right, we're almost two weeks into the new year, and people are starting to, if they haven't already, break their New Year's resolutions. Apparently, by this point, usually about a third of people have already dropped their New Year's resolutions. Today is dedicated to making sure you stick to yours. So, go back over the list of resolutions and goals that you made. Have you stuck to them so far? Have you fallen off the boat? Do you need to get back on track? Well, now's the time to get back into it, and if you're having trouble sticking to your New Year's resolution goals, one good thing to help you is to ask a friend for help. Adding a buddy to your New Year's resolution plan is one of the best ways to keep yourself accountable. And you can also help that person stay accountable for their goals. So if you've fallen off the track, today is the day to pick yourself back up and just keep on going. You don't need to be perfect all the time to succeed. Just make sure that you keep moving forward. On the other hand, if today's holiday just doesn't seem to work for you, stay tuned for next week's Ditch Your New Year's Resolutions Day on January 17th. Now, let's take a look back through the years to see what happened on this day in history. On this day, January 12th, 1908, the first long-distance radio message was broadcast from the Eiffel Tower in Paris. French engineer Gustave Eiffel, or Gustave Eiffel as the Americans call him, and I'm going to continue calling him for the rest of the episode, he built the Eiffel Tower for the Paris World's Fair of 1889. For obvious reasons, the tower became an absolute sensation. The tower's iron structure starkly contrasted with the historic, beautiful stone buildings of Paris. Also, when it was built, the Eiffel Tower was the world's tallest structure at 300 meters or 984 feet tall. Before the Eiffel Tower, the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. held that record at only 169.3 meters or 555 feet. Originally, the Eiffel Tower was only supposed to last about 20 years when the permit to operate the building expired and the tower would then be torn down. And early on, it seemed like the city of Paris was ready to tear down the Eiffel Tower in 20 years. At least 300 prominent artists and writers expressed their hatred for the tower's design. They referred to the Eiffel Tower as a quote, giddy, ridiculous tower dominating Paris like a gigantic black smokestack. Gustav Eiffel, however, had a plan to save his tower from the get-go. He planned to link the tower to important research so that no one would be able or willing to tear it down. The tower essentially became a grand science lab. Eiffel's plan was put into action the day after the tower was opened to the public by installing a weather station on the tower's highest floor. Despite early efforts in weather and aerodynamics, it was radio that actually ensured the Eiffel Tower wouldn't be torn down. In late 1898, Eiffel had inventor Eugène Ducreté carry out experiments from the third floor of the tower. Ducretet specialized in making practical use of radio waves. In the 1890s, people mainly communicated over long distances by way of telegraph, see yesterday's episode, but Ducret became the first person in France to transmit telegraph message without wires. The messages were carried by radio waves. The first wireless transmission came on November 5th, 1898, sent from the third floor of the Eiffel Tower to the Pantheon, a burial place for famous citizens of Paris. Now this transmission was only about 4 kilometers long, or two and a half miles long, but only one year later wireless messages were being sent for the first time from France to Great Britain across the English Channel. Still desperate to save his tower, Eiffel got the idea to ask the French military to conduct its own research on radio communications in the Eiffel Tower. He even paid the army's costs to sweeten the deal. Captain Gustave Ferrier worked at the base of the tower's southern pillar in a wooden shack. From his shack, he made radio contacts with forts around Paris. Then, on this day, on January 12, 1908, the tower sent out its first long-distance radio message. The internet does not seem to know whom this first long-distance message was sent to, but the radio broadcast reached far and wide, reaching military bases in Berlin, Germany, Casablanca, Morocco, and even in North America. Now convinced of the importance of radio communications, the French army set up a permanent radio station in the tower and renewed the structure's permit for another 70 years in 1910. Then, because the tower and radio communications played such an important role in gathering military intelligence, the tower continued to stand in Paris' skyline. Today, there are some 100 antennas atop the Eiffel Tower, and though the tower is no longer an active research site, its viability is owed in large part to the use of the tower for radio communications research. And what a fun piece of history about the Eiffel Tower that I absolutely was not expecting to learn about. Now it's time to commemorate the births and deaths of famous or infamous individuals in our next segment, Life and Legacy. Today we acknowledge the birthday of former South African Prime Minister P. W. Botha. Peter Willem Botha was born on January 12, 1916, in Paul Rue, South Africa. Botha served as Prime Minister of South Africa from 1978 to 1984, and was the first executive state president from 1984 to 1989. Boteau was originally elected to South African parliament in 1948. He was known to be an outspoken opponent of majority rule and international communism. Under his administration, he did not make concessions toward political reform, and internal unrest saw widespread human rights abuses at the hands of the government. While working in government, Bota undertook some superficial changes to apartheid practices, which is something he ought to be commended for. He held a big part in legalizing interracial marriage and miscegenation in South Africa, both of which had been completely banned since the late 1940s. For those of you wondering what miscegenation is, it's defined as reproduction by people who are considered to be members of different races. So, back in the 1940s, it was illegal to even have sex with a partner of a different race than you in South Africa, which is absolutely ridiculous. Bota also relaxed the Group Areas Act, an act that barred non-whites from living in certain areas. By 1988, a new law created things called Open Group Areas, or racially mixed neighborhoods. However, these neighborhoods needed to receive a government permit, support of the local whites immediately concerned, and an upper-class neighborhood in a major city in order to be awarded a permit. Bota also became the first South African government leader to authorize contact with Nelson Mandela while he was in prison. However, these reforms didn't accomplish very much. Essentially, Botha had created more problems than he had solved. Botha refused to cede political power to blacks and imposed greater security measures against anti-apartheid activists. He also refused to negotiate with the African National Congress. In 1985, Botha delivered the Rubicon Speech, a policy address in which he refused to give in to demands by the black population, including requests to release Nelson Mandela from prison. By refusing international opinion, Botha had isolated South America, leading to economic sanctions and a rapid decline in the value of the country's currency, the RAND. A year later, the U.S. introduced the Comprehensive Anti-Apartheid Act, Bota then declared a nationwide state of emergency and famously said, This uprising will bring out the beast in us. As economic and diplomatic actions against South Africa increased, civil unrest spread amongst the black population, supported by the ANC and neighboring black majority governments. In May 16, 1986, Bota publicly warned neighboring states against engaging unsolicited interference in South Africa's affairs. Four days later, Bota ordered airstrikes against selected targets in Lusaka, Harare, and Gaborone, stating that these raids were the, quote, "...first installments," and showed that South Africa has the capacity and will to break them. In spite of his constitutional changes, the apartheid years under Bota were by far the most brutal. Thousands were detained without trial during his presidency, others were tortured and killed, the TRC found that Botha was responsible for gross violations of human rights and directly authorized unlawful activity including murder. And even after all that, Bota still refused to apologize for apartheid. In an interview in 2006, he suggested that he had no regrets about the way he ran the country. However, Botha also denied having considered black South Africans to be inferior to whites in any way but conceded that, quote, some whites did not hold that view. He implied that apartheid policies were inherited from British colonial administration in the Cape and Natal province, so he was just following that by default. After all this, Botha suffered a stroke in February of 1989 and was forced to resign as both leader of the ruling National Party and as president. So today, I'd like to wish P.W. Botha a crappy birthday, because he was complicit throughout Apartheid, and did very little to make the country better off during that time. Today we'd also like to acknowledge January 12, 1976 as the death day of Agatha Christie. Christie was an English writer known for her 66 detective novels and 14 short story collections, most notably the ones surrounding fictional detectives Hercule Perrault and Miss Marple. She has also written six novels under the pseudonym Mary Westmacott. Christie also wrote the world's longest running play, The Mousetrap, which was performed in the West End from 1952 all the way to 2020 before the pandemic hit. In 1971, Christie was made a dame for her contributions to literature. Agatha Christie holds the record from Guinness World Records for best-selling fiction author of all time. Her novels have sold more than 2 billion copies. Most of Christie's books and short stories have been adapted for television, radio, video games, and graphic novels. More than 35 feature films are based on Agatha Christie's works. So congratulations to Agatha Christie on one of the most prolific writing careers in history she is missed dearly on this day. Lastly, let's find out what listeners like you are celebrating today in our final segment, Listener Celebrations. Today, Chelsea's little sister's baby is supposed to be due tomorrow. Now, I'm not sure if that child was born already or it might be delayed, but either way, we have a new little one coming into the world. So, congratulations to Chelsea's little sister for becoming a mother very soon, and congratulations to Chelsea for becoming an aunt. Today, we also wish a very happy birthday to both Robert and Josh. Happy birthday, you guys. Thank you for sharing your celebrations with us. And if you are celebrating anything like a birthday, an anniversary, or any special occasion, please shoot me a message at Everyday's a Holiday Pod on Instagram. Thank you for joining me in today's celebrations. Special thanks to Kristen Bradley for assisting in research for this episode and AJ Curtin for composing the music for Everyday's a Holiday. Please rate and review Everyday's a Holiday on Apple or Google Podcasts to let me know what you think of the show and tune in tomorrow morning to see what there is to celebrate on January 13th. Enjoy today, and catch you tomorrow!